Hello, Julie Solomon here, and welcome back to another incredible episode of the Influencer Podcast. We are talking all about how to pivot your brands and services today, when to do it, how to do it, why to do it. All of those questions are answered in today's podcast episode with the amazing Brett Siva. Now she shares with us how she has been able to create a multi-seven-figure membership, how she make sure that it scales every year, how to keep the retention up and the momentum going. And then we talk a lot about hiring and customers, you know, how to hire people that really pay for themselves and customers. How do you get them? How do you get them to stay? Britt also shares how she was able to, again, make multi-seven figures just from one offer. So she shares how she got this offer out the ground, how she grew it, and how she was able to scale by just focusing in on this one thing. We are also diving into boundaries and support, really setting a schedule that supports your life, that doesn't really control it. And what kind of support do you need in order to have the business that you desire? Because as we grow, there are new challenges that come our way. And we, we need to make sure that we are putting the right support systems in place to really support that growth. This is a great, great, great episode. Britt is phenomenal. We met a few years ago in a mastermind, and I am so excited for you guys to really hear from her. I think you're going to learn a lot. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to the Influencer Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Solomon, business coach and brand expert. I invite you to join millions of our other listeners in building a brand that is influential, loved by the masses, and worth millions. The Influencer Podcast is the only resource you need to start, grow, and scale the brand and business of your wildest dreams. Discover why people all over the world call the Influencer Podcast their go-to for all things branding, influence, and marketing. That's what you want to get your hands on, right? Britt Siva. Hi, Julie. How are you, friend? It's so good to be here. I know. It's so good to be here. And we were actually just off mic. We were laughing because I I really do think that we were supposed to have this conversation this time last year. And then COVID hit. I got pregnant. All the things. So... 100%. And I always say people always miss the good stuff in the pre-show. It's where it all goes down. Um, But I agree with you. And I think that this interview is timely because now we've both like lived some more life and and have some more stories to share. So all good. I'm glad you're here. And so I kind of want to just kick it off really quick. Um, Britt and I met in a mastermind, um, a really awesome, incredible mastermind with some amazing people um, two years ago, I believe that it was, and got to know each other, got to know about each other's business. And Britt is just, she's an incredible woman. She, you're about to learn a lot about how she started her business, how she has scaled it, all of the trials and tribulations that come with that. Um, and really just how this is, it it never ends. Like this is, it's not like you get to some kind of status or level that you make up in your head of success. And then it's like, okay, it's over. It really is a constant evolution. If you are a business owner and you legitimately want to have a business and grow it. So with that said, Brett, will you share a little bit about how you got started just in your industry and how that evolved into what you do now. Absolutely. I'd be happy to. So I'm the uh, accidental hairstylist. A lot of people fall into the profession of being a hairstylist because their mama did it or because they always love doing everyone's hair for prom. And I was not that girl. I 
I was, I've always been on a quest to be self-made. That's this word that like really resonates with me at my core. And when I was 20, I was always already the mother of a two-year-old and I was looking for a way to really gain control of my life. And I thought, you know, if I become a stylist, I'll be able to make all the money, work whatever schedule I want, be home with my babies. This is going to be amazing. So went to cosmetology school, got my license back in 2007 Turns out it's not as easy as that. And I got into the industry and actually felt a little blindsided or bamboozled and felt like, wow, it turns out that growing as a hairstylist is actually incredibly challenging. And yes, I can be self-made, but I looked around and I couldn't find one man or woman living this dream life that I had joined the industry for, this freedom-filled lifestyle where there was plenty of money. And I don't have any shame talking about money. I think, I think all of us in business want to make good money. And I wanted to work a dream schedule and not sacrifice my life to do it. And I couldn't find one person doing that. And so I said, well, I can, it's very clear to me that I can't do what everyone else is doing and find success. I've got to carve my own path. So I spent my first year as a stylist doing everything weird and marketing myself and growing myself in a way that, that my co-stylist actually made fun of me for, of like, what the heck is she doing? Why would she do things like that? Turned out being the person who goes left when everyone else is going right was the way to build. And in doing so, I developed a really innovative way to build, grow, and market as a stylist. And I, to make a long story short, I only styled hair for a couple of years, was promoted to the position of director of my salon when the owner went absentee. And I spent about seven years leading a team of about 30 stylists at a multi seven figure salon level. And I learned a lot through that time and experience. And over those years, um, some other salon owners in the San Francisco Bay area where I'm located reached out to me saying, Hey, listen, we see you're up to some cool stuff. Is there any way you could mentor us? And my boss at the time was, was generous enough to say yes. And so I started consulting on the side. Um, in 2006, my, the demand for my cult, uh, consulting had grown so large that I had no choice, but to leave my salon um, find a way to scale, figure out a way to, instead of teaching one-to-one, teach one-to-many. And um, the last six years, I've been coaching to my program called Thriver Society um, full-time. It's a digital training program for stylists and salon owners. And we've helped, I think, to date over 12,000 stylists and salon owners achieve the six-figure earning level. And that's that's incredible. I feel like I'm able to make an impact on my industry every single day. And, and um, it lights my soul on fire. I'm honored to do it. Ah. I love that, Brent. And I just, I love your story so much because I think that it is, it's unique yet so relatable. I mean, you know, it's, it's so relatable that we all know what that feels like to be sitting in whatever proverbial desk or cubicle that is for us and kind of looking around and like, just want longing to see an example of what's possible and what we want and then not seeing it. So then if we have the courage to do so, we're like, okay, I guess I'm going to have to be that example and carve it out ourselves. Um, Thriver Society, you just touched on it. I know that it's an incredible program and service. And as you said, I mean, it has helped thousands of stylists be able to make good money, manage their time, you know, create a schedule that is actually not only manageable, but enjoyable and livable and be able to travel and have families and do all of those things. What I would love for you to also touch on, because there's that side of the business that we all see. And then there's this like behind the scenes thing (laughs) that happens that is actually you and your team running your business. So how were you able to create 
such, and we know it's like, obviously you had something that a lot of people wanted. They saw the value, you had the right offer and you had the right prospect. So that's how you can launch it. But how on the back end have you been able to create a membership that is sustainable year over year over year and to keep that retention up? Oh, such a good question. So, so many, so many great touch points on that. So that's the funny thing. I was just on another podcast a couple months back and somebody was like, I don't know how you do it all. And I said, well, it's not me. I have 19 employees. And he said, I'm sorry, you have what? Because it to often it looks like we're doing this all ourselves and I could not do a, a fraction of what I do if I was alone. And so over the last few years, my focus has shifted from being a coach for stylists to building this dynamic team that can allow me to build my business mission, mission and vision forward. I can't do that alone. And I hired my first employee back in 2017. And like you said, that was at the time where my market had proven itself. I knew I had a valid offer. Um, the program was doing multiple six figures in revenue. If I can be candid, I should have hired sooner. Um, I bet a lot of people echo that and say that, but I was the typical person who was like, I can't afford to hire. And then learned the hard way that in hiring my employees, they pay for themselves because I'm able to expand the business so much faster with a team who's able to support me. So I made my first hire. It was January 1, 2017. Um, she's still with me today. And um, we have been building and growing the team ever since. As far as retention and as far as sustaining the membership, I'm fortunate. I still have some people who joined the membership in 2015 who still in 2021 are still members. And that's one of the things about membership that I think that people don't talk about is that when you're creating a digital program that's centered around launch or when you're um, a one-on-one -on -one coach, it's about um, snagging the sale, like getting them to sign the contract, getting that initial payment with membership. That's not the game. That's, that's step one of 76 follow-up steps. So for me, it's not enough to make the sale. It's about that retention. And so the name of my game for the last six years has been trying to figure out not just why people come to me, but why they would choose to stay and what it means to create a profitable membership where people can't imagine life without it. And that's how my team and I spend our days is figuring out how we can serve our community in a way that that brings something to the table that they will not find elsewhere. So that continuing to work with me is, is there is no other choice. This is the end game. Mm, okay. So we have to, we have to unpack that. So with customers, clients, whatever people want to call them, it's a two-step. How do you get them to come? And then how do you get them to stay? Uh. Such a good question. That is the tale is old to sign. That is the question. For me, what I've found is, and this may be counterproductive to what people think, but a lot of people think like the launch builds the clientele, the launch makes the sale. I don't believe it works like that. I believe it's all of the efforts you make between the launch periods where you're building like, know, and trust. You and I here on this podcast, you serving up to your community in the way that you do, Julie, every single week. That's what brings the clients. And I think for a lot of people, when they're beginning to scale, it's all about like, how do I make the money? And I get it because we need that money. And so it becomes about like, how do I do my next pitch? How do I sync that next offer? And while all that's important, I have found that the more energy and effort I put into providing phenomenal content on social, creating amazing podcasts, giving back to my community, that's where the sales actually come from. Because then by the time I come around to my pitch, 
I've already served to my highest. So choosing to work with me is a no brainer because you've seen my heart and you've seen how I show up even when there's not money involved. So imagine what you'd get if you choose to pull out your credit card. And I think, I think that's a missing piece is that I think the sales techniques are so incredible. I think learning to be an effective launcher and communicator and closer is important. You have to, there's no other way, but if we could spend a little more time on that nurture, my gosh, business would grow so much faster. And I know why we don't do it. It's because social feels hard and overwhelming launching a podcast feels hard and overwhelming, but just because something's hard and overwhelming doesn't mean we don't do it. It's doing those hard and overwhelming things that sets apart those who are really ready for greatness from those who are just going to stay in the startup stage forever. My friends, have you ever thought that you have done the hard part? You have started your business and you have taken that leap from belief into really stepping out and claiming a vision for yourself. But you know that if you want to make money doing what you love, you need other support. You need to grow. You need to scale. You need a marketing strategy. You need a lot of this stuff. Now, of course, I talk so much about these things, right? Like how to identify your target audience, where to find them, which marketing channels to focus on. So you're really making the most out of your budget. And of course, how to use things like data to set goals. But there's another great podcast that I love out there that also talks about this stuff. And it's called This is Small Business. This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, answers so many of these kinds of questions. Whether you're dreaming of starting your business or you're looking to take a part-time side hustle full-time, or maybe you're a few years in and you're ready to scale. This is Small Business is going to give you the practical tips that you can start using today. And I know that if you love these topics on my podcast, you're going to love them on this one too. Make sure to follow This is Small Business on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you don't miss these fantastic episodes. And a big thanks to This is Small Business for sponsoring the show. My friends, as creators, we work so hard creating our content. So we don't want to leave it up to things like an algorithm to determine how successful our online brands and businesses can be. And that is why I love Kajabi. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs like myself build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. And I know they can help you too. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, your passions, your experiences into enriching offers like online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, communities, personalized coaching, and so much more. What I love about Kajabi is that not only does it make it super easy to use, but they don't take a cut of your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. You don't need a huge audience to make a sustainable income online. I talk about that all the time here on the podcast. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures without having hundreds of thousands of followers, and you can too. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business. Go to kajabi.com slash influencer. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash influencer. Go to kajabi.com slash influencer and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Yeah. And I, I love that you kind of mentioned that startup stage. Um, and I, we were just talking about it offline. It's like really, you know, 90% of the people who say that they want something never actually get it because they don't, they don't manage their mind to take the actions that are necessary to get the hell out of their own way right. <laughs> to make it happen. Right. Um, and so 
let's, I, I would love to kind of talk about that because I mean, not only do you see it within your community and your clients, but you yourself, like what has made Brit Siva successful? Because I know that there has been so many times that you could have quit, that you could have closed down the membership, that you could have just been like, I'm done. I don't want to do like, there's so many times that you could have easily just gone off and started to create other things, which is another thing that people do all the time. They're like, okay, this is not, I didn't make a million dollars, you know, so I need to go and like do this instead of just like, well, wait a second, maybe you could just tweak and fine tune. And so I would love if you could kind of talk about that of, of, you know, what do you see as some of the key components that has made your programs a success that has allowed your clients to see success and has allowed you as a business to, to continue to grow and scale? That is such a good question, Julie. And for anybody who's listening who's not familiar with me, I've been selling the same digital prod- product for going on seven years. One thing, seven years. And I think that alone is something that a lot of people do incorrectly is somebody will ask a question about something and you're like, oh my gosh, I could make a product for that. I could charge $1.99. Meanwhile, you have six other half-baked ideas still cooking in the kitchen. If you would just continue to refine and elevate one or two really good things versus creating 17 little offers, that alone is highly impactful. Um, I remember it must've been about 2018. My business had actually done well. Um, 2018 was our first seven figure year. And so we're in the midst of like momentum is building. Everything's going great. And my husband is a firefighter and he came home early one morning and I had been up all night making candles in our kitchen. And he was like, okay, I've walked into something scary. What is happening here? And I said, I think I'm going to start a candle making business. And he was like, I'm going to let you digest this. We'll talk about this later. And I had just decided that my business had become, it wasn't that it was too successful. I was happy with the success. It was like, I was on this bullet train and I was hanging onto the caboose for dear life. And I wasn't sure that I wanted to feel like that anymore. And I could have absolutely literally scrapped my seven figure business and become, I don't know, selling candles at farmer's markets. I don't know what I was doing, but it just felt like going back to simpler times. It felt like this seven figure business is getting hard and you don't have to get to seven figures to get to the, this, this shit feels hard stage that can happen at when you made $5,000 turns out, this is kind of hard. Maybe I'll choose the easy path. And I'm here to tell you, I'm so glad I didn't start the candle factory and push through. And I kind of sat in the funk and said, listen, what is it about this business right now that doesn't light me up anymore? What is it about this work that feels hard, that feels heavy, that I don't enjoy? And rather than throwing it all in the trash can, I said, how do I create more focus? How do I create more joy in my business? And how do I bring in the right support for me so that the program still continues, but I'm not in charge of solving all the world's problems myself and in joining masterminds and um, paying for really great education and in surrounding myself with a team that can do the stuff that I'm not so good at or don't want to do anymore. I found the fortitude to carry forward. As far as keeping the membership like alive and fresh, I, I've developed something within my community called, it's called our think tank. And um, they have a Facebook community. There's about a hundred of them. They are a selected group of members from my paid membership. Some have been with me for six months. Some have been with me for six years. It's a really good cross section. And we lean into the think tank monthly for feedback. I hop on calls with them a few times a year, ask them what's working in the program, what's failing in the program. How can I better serve you? What are the resources that I offer that no one's taking advantage of? Oh my gosh, if you're not asking that question, 
you are burning yourself out and missing out because there's so many things that we do as entrepreneurs that we've decided are essential that nobody even cares about anymore. And so getting in tune with my needs, my students' needs, and how I can create support all around has kept the lights on. I mean, that's that's how I found the fortitude to push forward. Oh, that is such good, just like... Ah, that's so, so good. I hope everyone that's listening is like taking notes. I love the idea of a think tank. I think that is such, when you say that it's like, well, yeah, I mean, it's like, go, like go to the people that you are serving and ask them. Right. And we talk about that. Like I talk about, you know, you got to serve you, you got to do this, but I love that you like strategically and methodically, like really thought out, like, I'm going to do a think tank and I'm going to show up for these women. I'm going to serve them. They're going to get a little bit more of me, which is an incentivization to be in the think tank. Um, and I love what you just said about what, what resources have I created that no one is utilizing? And I would love for us to talk about that because we have seen that in my coaching program as well, because everyone will say that they need all the things in order to succeed, right? It's like, I, we need private one-on-one coaching. Okay. So we supply that we need calls at night and during the day. So we supply that we need this, we need that. And then it's like, you start to see like, why are only 25% of the people showing up to this? Why are, and then, you know, as the business, you have to think about, well, time, money, and resources. We want to make sure that we're really using our resources where they are best utilized. So when you did that, is there anything that you discovered that just blew your mind or was such a quick aha moment for you that was able, that allowed you and your team to kind of pivot? And then what success did you see from that pivot? Mm, it was huge. So one of the big, big things that we had is I've always felt like people join my membership for me because they want as much Brit as possible. And to a degree, that's true. I mean, people enjoy the way I coach. And so that's why they join my membership is because they want to continue learning from me. But in working with the think tank, they actually said, we love Brit. No, no disrespect, but we would love it if she brought in outside educators. We would love it if she wasn't the person doing all the monthly coaching calls. And it actually gave me the permission to, it like, it was a weight off my shoulders to hear, oh my gosh, I don't have to carry these people to the finish line. I simply have to facilitate the opportunity for them to win. And it relieves so much pressure from me. And now I'm actually able to serve them at a higher level versus feeling like I have to meet all the needs. I just need to facilitate incredible experience. And that is my role as the owner of this business. Um, so one, one of the, one of the things that I realized is I had almost become like, um, like McDonald's in my business, like, oh, you want one of those and a side of fries and no pickles and hold the ketchup and whatever anybody wants is what I'm creating. And if instead I was like, listen, this is what I serve. You can take it or you can leave it. The vast majority are going to take it. Everybody will ask for pickles on the side if it's, if it's an option. But if you say, nope, the burger comes with pickles, you can pick them off yourself if you want to. They're still hungry. They're still going to take it. And I realized I don't have to custom create every single thing in my membership. And actually my membership does better when less is more. When I'm offering less, you're actually able to complete the lessons every month. And I'm not overwhelming you with 16 options. Like you said, AM calls, PM calls, one-on-one coaching, um, email my, when there's less to choose from people make smarter choices and actually get to the finish line. Yep. I was literally about to say that. I think that it actually creates more overwhelm. Yes. And here's the thing. If you have clients that are coming to you to lead them for guidance and support, they'll probably be the first to tell you if they're in tune with their mind, body, and spirit, that they don't know what they need and they right. don't know what they want. <laughs> like they're coming to you to, to support them and guide them so they can discover that. So it's, you, you kind of have to 
create the container as the leader that you truly in your gut know is best for the group. And of course, there's always ways that you can test. I'm huge at testing things. I'm like, okay, fine. We'll give them this. We'll see what happens. You know, it's like, I'm all for testing it out, but I do, I think that it with, with more options and more things like that, it, it causes more overwhelm. It causes more stress. People don't know where to go or what to do. So then they just don't make a decision at all. And then that's where you start to see retention go down and engagement go down and participation go down. So I love that you touched on that. Um, with your think tank, do you, do you have someone on your team that kind of manages that? And they're the one that checks in with the think tank and the Facebook group. And then you just get to pop in when you have your yearly, you know, your quarterly or whatever calls with them. That's exactly right. Um, one of the things I'm in a place in my business where um, I'm in touch with my students, but there are actually people who are more on the ground level than I am probably, you know this, Julie, like I have community managers. They are the eyes and ears. They are seeing everything going on in the Facebook group. So they're overseeing the think tank as well because they know what Sarah has been up to. They've seen Alyssa's struggles in her salon. So they're actually able to facilitate a stronger conversation than I could. And then when I do my bi-monthly calls with the think tank, that's my opportunity to connect. But having a team to support me and saying, listen, these are the six hot topics we keep seeing coming up. It actually allows me to serve at a better place versus me trying to be the one who has all the answers. I do rely on my team to, to be my eyes and ears and help to kind of set me up for success there. Ah, I love that. Um, and now that we're on the topic of team and support, um, and I know that you mentioned that earlier, just when you, when you really started to, to grow and scale your business, one of the changes was that support. So you started asking for help. You started getting coaching. You joined masterminds. You started investing in your education and and in your network and in your community in a higher level, which we know single-handedly, I think, I mean, single-handedly masterminds and just being in community is the biggest thing that will change a business the fastest ever. Like that's period. Yeah. Agreed. Like (laughs) just, (laughs) that's, that's just it. But there's another end of that coin with support. So it's not only investing your own time, energy, and resources into your own education and networking and community building, but there's also the support of team building and when to hire and who to hire and what to hire. And there's always iterations of that. I think um, from my own experience, I think that hiring is probably the most challenging and rewarding part of a business. Um, it is for me, the hardest thing to get right. Um, and I think that's the case for a lot of people, um, really getting the right people in the right seats. But I think that it really does begin and end with the CEO knowing what it is that they actually need. So can you kind of share what your journey has been like with hiring, um, any kind of challenges that you had, what you learned from those challenges, um, successes that you've had. And then I know that you mentioned your team now, but what, what that kind of looks like now. Yeah, absolutely. So I used to say, you know, I wish, I wish I had built my team the way it is now from the start, but I've, I've realized in time, I couldn't do that. We all start at step one. So step one was hiring, um, essentially, a, a an executive assistant, a catch-all. I mean, Christine joined me and she has done everything under the sun. And when you talk to people who have been in business a long time, like we have, you hear that a lot, that we have like our ride or die person who's literally done all the jobs under the sun. And Christine's that it for me. And when I hired her, she had no job description. I was like, I don't know what you're doing. We have no systems. You're going to come in and we're going to figure this out together. And in hiring her, 
the skill that she had that she brought to the table was trust. I really trusted her. She was somebody I had worked with in the past. We weren't personal friends, but I knew she'd be ride or die for me. And I knew she'd be like a trusted confidant. And she has. And I always say she was the gateway for me knowing that I could entrust other people with my baby. I mean, this business is like my third child. It was, and it was handing over that trust was massive and bringing her on showed me, okay, turns out I'm not the best at everything. And she's better at a lot of things than I am. And she opened the door for me to hire other great people from her. We hired a lot more catch-alls like, okay, this feels heavy. Let's hire someone to do customer support. This feels heavy. We need somebody to learn Kajabi. This feels heavy. We need somebody to um, manage social. So at first it's kind of plugging holes in the ship that could be sinking. And then we we're probably on our fifth org chart right now. So for a long time, um, we had set up the business where it was me giving orders to probably six or seven different people. If you had a question, you come to me. Anybody who needs something, you come to me. That burnt me out. At, at, in 2019, I was whoop, end of the rope. So then I started to build my leadership team, which um, which has been a struggle in and of itself, but it's ended up being a blessing. I had the, mo- the six most incredible leaders to help serve and facilitate my business now. But in building my leadership team, that's when it started to get a little bit crunchy because that's when I couldn't say, listen, Elise, you've been with me for three years. You're clearly the leader. I had somebody who had been with me three months who became the boss of a lot of people who had been with me for a long time. And that was the crossroads where it had to be less about um, loving my people as people and more about what Les McKeon calls the enterprise commitment, loving my business the most first. And I ask that my employees do that too. Like you, I'm asking you to be here because you love the business. You love the vision. You love the the mission. We can love each other. That's great. But at the end of the day, we're not a Girl Scout troop. We're here to build this business together. And so getting everybody on board, I will say, if you're building a team and you're doing it the right way, you're going to go through some crunchy stuff. We went through probably 15 months of pain, like truly blood, sweat, and tears. And we've come out the other side and it's been beautiful and amazing. Um, And now because I spent the time building this team and learning to let go, that was the hardest part for me is I liked being the one who was in charge of the Facebook ads. I liked being the person who chose um, what content went in all of my programs. I liked being the person who designed my webinars. But turns out if if I trust others to educate themselves, they can do it better than I can. And in learning to delegate, I started to realize that I'm at a place now, Julie, where I don't go to, I wouldn't go to like social media marketing world. I wouldn't go to take an education class on a specific training. I'll go to leadership classes, anything like tactical, I get to send my team to, I don't need to learn that stuff. I can, I can outsource that to other people. So in learning to trust and in learning to make tough choices and to constantly be in reevaluation of, do we need a marketing department or do, is it a hybrid creative team? Like renegotiating our terms, keeping in mind that we need to do what serves the business best, not what serves Brit Siva best, not what serves anybody else on the team best and not worrying about hurting feelings. Because like I said, we're not a women's club, we're a business. And in, in keeping those things in mind, it's allowed me to make really smart strategic choices that has allowed us to continue to scale. Was that a mindset shift for you of like, because I think that we all start, you know, you know, you have the solopreneur and then you have the entrepreneur and then you have like the business owner. And I think that those are different things. Um, and for some people, one's not necessarily better than the other. Again, it goes back to like, what is it that I want to build? Do I want to have a team of 15 people or do I want just to have like a few contractors? 
how much money do I want to make? How much profit do I want to have? It's like all of these kinds of questions you have to know before you really, and I, I think some of us maybe learn as we go before you navigate, but were there, were there mindset shifts when you started to realize like, okay, this is the kind of business that I want to have. This is what we're building out. And this is, the, I need these people and these leaders in order to, to, to get what it is that I'm trying to bring about. What were some of those shifts and those even upper limits and like limiting beliefs that you had to overcome to allow for that support to come in? I love that question because I think as I'm saying, you know, now I've got this big team and I'm doing all these things. That's not for everybody. And that's not to say you have to have this gigantic team around you to be successful. There are a lot of people who are still just solo or have two or three killer people and are at the seven, multiple seven-figure level, level, and they do great. Um, I, I reached a point around 2018 where I realized that the work I was doing was impacting lives in a way that for me lit me up. Like it felt like my soul's purpose. And, um, I had made the money. And so it was past the point of like, I, this is my job. Now it's like, this is my life's work. And I reached this crossover point where like, if this is my life's work and I truly want to change the industry, like I always say the vision of my business is I want to change the perception of the entire beauty industry. That's a really big commitment. And in order for me to do that, I personally can't play small. I need to hire coaches. I need to um, create more uh, opportunity for my coaching team to be in salon with these people. I'm only one woman. And in order for me to make my vision possible, I have to surround myself with the right people. But there were several times in the crossroads where I was like, wow, the, the more I grow, the less, the less money I personally actually take home. And so you are put in this check of like, all right, am I am I on this ride because I want to to build whatever it is I'm building, or am I just down to make 200 grand, be working by myself, only working 20 hours a week because that's pretty sick too? And I I keep checking myself at these crossroads, and I probably will for the rest of my career. But for me, the impact is what I serve, and I'm kind of addicted to that idea that I can revolutionize an entire industry. And so for me, continuing to build and grow um, is a non-negotiable. Um, but I'm always at a cross check of asking myself, am I on the right track? Am I off the right track? Um, and making decisions that I'm certain are keeping me in line with where I want my life to go. Oh, I love that. And it, it just made me think of something. And it's, it's, it's also going back to like your prospect and like, who are you serving? Yes. Um, you know, it's, I, and I think it's probably the same for you. I, I tend to serve mostly women, but that doesn't mean that I don't serve men. Yeah. And I remember one time I had um, a woman in my community asking me, she was like, you know, I saw a man, a man pop into here. And like, I thought this, like, I thought you only served women and what's going on here. And I just, I had to get really honest with myself to be like, if my goal is to help people like get the F out of their own way so they can get whatever it is that they want in life. Like, why would I limit myself or discriminate against someone because they're a man. <laughs> and so that was just something that even I had to get checked with because for years I would talk about like for women, by women, 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 women. And even though I am still like predominantly here for the woman, if there is a man who can show up and hold space and like be there and be supportive and like really give to this community and, and up-level it and help, help me support them, like why wouldn't I have that person there? And so I think that that's it, really getting clear on like, what is your goal, the end goal? 
Who are you really trying to serve? And what kind of impact do you want to make Mm. at the end of the day? And what does that look like for you? I think that that's super important. And I think that that can change and giving ourselves permission to allow that to change is important too. I love that. Totally agreed. Um, yeah, it just totally made me think about that in, in terms of, of the shifting of that. Um, the other thing that I would love to dive into is the kind of the balance of, you know, you're scaling, you have a business, you have a team, you have all of these people, but you also have a life and you have your mom and you have a husband. And so, and I know that there's been iterations of this for you as well. And you talked about like, you know, in 2019, you were just done. It was like, I loved being in control of everything until I didn't love being in control of everything. So when you came to that realization and you realized that, yes, there are people out there who actually can, can do probably a better job than I can at this. How does that affect or change your ability to now show up for your family in a different way? And what does that look like? And, and how do you, how do you kind of manage that balance between like being on for the business and then being on for the home? Really good question. And it will likely be my life's work, like a constant work in progress because I'm far from perfect on it. Um, 2019 was also the year I was on vacation. I'm doing air quotes, a vacation with my family. I was up in Lake Tahoe, which is our happy place. And I was typing on my laptop in the morning time before we went to the lake. And I was trying to chat with my husband and he didn't respond to me. And I said, what's up with you? How come you're not talking to me? And he said, why don't you close your laptop and then try and have a conversation with me? And I have chills even saying it, that was such a turning point for me because that had been his reality likely for years where he's talking to me over a screen. He's, I'm kind of half listening, but I'm also on Instagram and he, that had burned him out. I mean, I was at this point and I'm thankful to have a partner who was willing to check me because it is, it can be such a rush when you're building a business. Like it can be really fun. And for me, that's how I spend some of my enjoyable downtime, but it, it can be um, really detrimental to your personal life. And so creating boundaries has been crucial for us. Um, it really changed the terms of our marriage because my husband's not a part of my business at all. Doesn't want to be, I don't want him to be, we're all good there. But he's had to kind of negotiate with me what feels good for both of us. And I said, you know, I'm an achiever. I'm a 3W2 on the Enneagram. I need to achieve. It's important for me. And he said, that's great. You can achieve. Let's figure out what hours you're going to be achieving. And then let's decide together when you're just going to be mom or you're just going to be Brit or you're just going to just going to hang. And it actually gave me permission to find that balance again. And one of the things that I think people don't realize is um, I work from home fully. We run our business fully remotely. And it's such a blessing because I can pick up the kids. I can do all that kind of stuff. But my kids' perception is that mommy always works. Actually not. I probably work less than the average nine to fiver. But when kids don't see their parents actively working at home, it's different because you're either gone or you're hyper-present. I spent a lot of my week in this funny in-between period. And so I've had to really figure out how to neg- negotiate those conversations with my kids of like, mom's going to work for four hours. And I found that that's helpful for them to say, when the clock says 12 o'clock, I'm going to come out and we're going to have lunch together. But I have to give everyone in my family deadlines of I'm going to work until this time. And then I'm out. And then I have to I have to hold myself accountable to that too, because it is very hard. And you and I both know there's a lot of women and probably men too have lost their marriages because of business developed really unhealthy relationships with their children because of it. And I don't want to be one of those stories. And so I think having that open dialogue at home has been crucial. Mm, I love that. And I love that you mentioned that. And I think that the, the boundary piece is huge when I, because cho- it's a choice, 
yeah. everything's a choice. Like even if we, are, I don't have a choice, like it's all a choice. And when you make that boundary, it's like 10 to three is my work time. And like, I'm not, I don't do anything before 10 or after three. It's just not, I mean, it's, it's just really not happening. Now, sometimes I choose to break that, but then I have to be held accountable and be responsible for the repercussions of that choice. That's it. And so it's, it, the boundary of that I think is huge. And that's a big thing that I talk about with women. They're just like, I don't have enough time in the day. To, and I'm like, well, then you need boundaries more than it. Cause like your life is obviously controlling you. If you don't have enough time, like you're not controlling your life. Your life is controlling you. And so I think that for achievers like us, it's like, like staunchly putting a begin and an end in there is like what you need to like proverbially like you know, click, click the, click the clock and be done for the day. Totally um, so agree. I think that that's really helpful for those that are listening, um, no matter what stage that they're in. Um, so Britt, what, now that we're in 2021, we know that last year was nuts and last year was crazy. What are some of the things, I guess, since 2019, when you, you know, you shared that was kind of a, a pivotal year for you, you know, personally and with your business and how you show up to be a leader um, how did those lessons continue to unfold in 2020 and then where you are now halfway through 2021, what are some of the benefits and the gifts that you're seeing from all of those changes and those lessons that have been had? I love that question. I think for me, the biggest takeaway I got from 2020 was that I need to, I need to really think long-term and choose to be in what I'm in for the long game. I think for a lot of us, we were living in this very fast paced life and it was about the quick quick win. Amazon Prime gets something on my door in two days. We want everything to happen real quick and in real time. And when I thought about, I was fortunate in 2020 that my business kept rolling to a degree. We definitely took a financial loss, but we we kept the wheels on and we did all right. So many people lost everything. And that could so easily have been me or you or anybody else. And I realized I need to get focused on truly creating wealth so investing, um, getting really smart with my money, not just making it, but actually putting it in all the right places, um, surrounding myself with those who can carry on even if I'm not here. I've, I've suffered a few really massive losses in my life since operating this business. And you know, as well as I do, if it's just you or you've created a fairly fragile business model, at the drop of a dime, you can lose it all. And so I'm in a place where I'm really thinking long-term, I'm trying to really safe-proof my business and create a business that doesn't rely so heavily on me, where I can create, I can facilitate, like you said, hold the space, but that it doesn't always have to be me who shows up to keep the lights on around here. And so I'm in a place where I'm thinking uh, bigger. I'm thinking uh, no one-to-one. I'm thinking scale as fast as I possibly can in the, in the most efficient way possible so that I can really create that wealth and safe-proof my life and provide for my family in the way that I want to. So with that said, do you, when you think about it, and I know it's probably, it's hard for me as an achiever to like be like 10 years from now, where am I going to be? And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so many possibilities. I have no idea, you know, but it's, as I've gotten older, and I think especially in the last few years, I'm right on, right with you there on the wealth piece of like, yeah, I can make money all day, but like, how am I using it? How am I saving it? How am I investing it? Um, where do you see yourself in 10 years from now? 15 years from now, like, how are you working? How are you investing? Like, what does that day look like for you? 
It's a really good question. And I believe you and I share the same financial advisor. And I was on a call with he and my husband. We were doing some personal financial planning. And he asked us that question, both of us. He said, where do you want to be in, fi- in 10 years and in 20 years? And, and he made us really dive deep and say, you know, how old will your kids be? How old will you guys be? What do you want your life to look like? Where do you want to be living? Like he asked really thought-provoking questions. And you don't need a financial advisor to ask yourself those questions. Like really think, don't say, how am I going to do it? Just what do I want? And in that, I realized that in 10 years, I don't want to have to work. I want to be financially secure in a way where work is a choice. Not because I don't want to work. I think you and I are wired the same way. I can't imagine a life where I'm not working, but I want to do the the stuff that fires me up. I, I There's a little nonprofit that lives in the back of my mind somewhere. I want to be able to just kind of serve in ways that, that light, light my soul on fire. I don't want to have to feel like I have to do anything. And to me, that's what it means to be wealthy. Like wealth is a lifestyle. Wealth is a type of freedom. And I want to invest and save and make good choices so that I can just choose wealth. I can choose travel. I can choose family. I can choose friends. And any work I choose to do just kind of supports what makes me feel good about myself. I love that. Um, All right. Before we wrap up this awesome conversation, because I, we could just continue to talk all day. Um, what does influence mean to you? Oh, influence means impact is the first thing that came to my mind. Um, and influence is one of those tricky things that can be used for good and evil. And I think coming out of 2020, we're in a really exciting time that makes me so happy. I think influence is all about authenticity right now and discovering yourself and showing up as your truest self and giving those gifts to the world as often as you're able. That's, that's what influence means to me today. Mm. I love it. Oh, Brett, thank you so much for being here. I just love talking to you. And I just think that this conversation is going to be very, not only uplifting and insightful for people, but I think it's going to give those that are listening, just maybe some permission that they felt like that they needed, even though that's found from within, but sometimes we just feel like we need it from someone else to, um, to start kind of thinking a little bit differently and, and seeing things at more of a bigger picture. So thank you for being an example of what is possible and for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. It's it's truly a pleasure. Anything, Julie Solomon, I'm always here for all the time. You're incredible. So thank you for having me. Thank you. All right. That is it for today. Now, are you ready to make more money and impact? If so, head over to juliesolomon.net slash accelerator to learn more about my coaching program and apply. All right. I'll see you again. Same time, same place next week.